two artists walk into a bar. Now stop me if you've heard this one. Listen in as artists and creators talk over drinks about their work, life, and the creative journey. Thanks for tuning in to episode number seven of Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. Our guest artist today is marketing mastermind, decorative artist, home stager, and founder of the wildly popular online business training program, Staging Diva, Deborah Gould. Listen in as we meet up at the New Oxford in Vancouver's Yale Town and talk about what drove her to step away from a thriving career in marketing and communications in the heart of Toronto to explore her creative yearnings in a tiny town on the Gulf Islands and how those well-honed business skills refused to lie dormant for very long. She's the home staging expert that CNN and the Wall Street Journal call on when they want to know what's happening in the industry. And she's taught over 7,000 students how to grow their own successful staging careers. You'll find links to these things along with full show notes on our website, twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you like it and want to hear more conversations with artists, be sure to subscribe, share with a friend, and sign up for updates. And if you love the show, head to the website where you can buy us our next round. Now let's head to the new Oxford and listen in as Deborah and I talk about developing a home decor line, raising a child, and building an online empire all at the same time. Cheers to that. I have been so looking forward to this uh, since I asked you to do this. You are one of my favorite new people who has come into my <laughs> life because your story is so interesting. And Thank I just, you so much. Yeah, it's been really fun to get to hear little pieces of it, but there are lots of things that I'm very curious about. Okay, fair enough. So the first thing I want to ask you about is your staging diva. How did that mm -hmm. all begin? Is that kind of the big piece of the puzzle that other things work around or where does that fit in your life? It grew out of the fact that I had created a home staging business in 2002 and because my background is marketing and I took all of my marketing know-how and put it behind my home staging business, it grew very quickly and it attracted a lot of media attention across the U.S. and Canada, like major media, Wall Street Journal, CNN, that kind of thing. And so what happened was I was getting hundreds and hundreds of emails primarily from the U.S., from women who said, oh, I took a home staging course, and I've been struggling for a year and a half, and I've never had a business. I've never figured out how to make money from this. What is your secret? And that's when I realized nobody was teaching the business side of home staging. Home staging is decorating houses to sell. And I partly started it to subsidize my time in my art studio. I had had to move to a very expensive city, and I, I was worried that by moving back to an expensive city that I would give up my art and go back to this other career that I'd had. Mm -hmm. And because I'd gone through this whole journey of reinvention to become an artist and earn my living from my creativity, I was afraid of like that I was going to box myself into a corner and end up giving it up. So I thought, oh, this is something creative I can do that I'll earn money quickly and it'll subsidize my time in my art studio. Um, it was great financially and it was great in a lot of different ways, but actually the art side of my business got smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where now I'm trying to find my way back to a more purely creative pursuit. And um, so it's, it was sort of a detour in a way that I did, but, right. but still creative. You know, yeah. I was still going in and decorating homes and making a living from that. So yeah. that is a creative pursuit, but it's different than just being alone in a studio making art. Per right. Se. right. In so many conversations with artists, there is this, there can be this gap between 
creating and having a thriving business. Right. And that's one of the things that really intrigued me about you. Right. But I want to go back to, we went from marketing. Yeah. To staging diva and we jumped over that middle piece. So I want to hear more about that middle piece. Right. Well, you know, like in high school I took art and I, I really, that was what I wanted to do. And I loved being in the art room. And I, in fact, I remember I, um, did a painting for the vice principal to put in his office And I said that I would do a painting for him if he would sign my course selection form and be okay with me not taking gym and some (laughs) other subjects that I didn't want to take because I wanted to do more art. And I think it's really funny now when I look back and think my, you know, what, 14 or 15-year-old self was like bribing the vice principal (laughs) with a painting so that I could like take more art and less of whatever else. And somehow that was okay. And now, and later I thought, how did I ever graduate? Anyway, so I really liked art. And you're displaying your negotiating skills and your art skills, which is exactly where you are now. Exactly, exactly. That is true. So but then you know my mother when I was growing up she always said like you have to be independent you have to be able to support yourself no one's ever going to take care of you and so I had this belief that if I was going to rely on my creativity it meant I was going to be a starving artist and so I kind of closed the door on all of that in my 20s and went and I did an MBA for goodness sakes like there couldn't be anything less creative in my mind than that you know, I had this corporate career and then I worked at ad agencies and then I ran a marketing communications firm and, you know, it was creative in a sense, but I was more the strategy person, not the person at the art board, right? Right. So I was the suit, as they call it in the industry. And so along the way of that, I had a child on my own. And when she was about three years old, um, Leo Burnett Advertising was one of my clients Mm -hmm. and they were selected ad agency of the year that year. And so there was this big cocktail party celebrating this award that they had received. And so I'm at this cocktail party and one of the guys that I had been working with asked me a question that nobody had ever asked me before. And it wasn't, will you marry me? (laughs) (laughs) Instead he asked me, uh, he asked me, um, what's the most important thing that you have to teach your child? And I said, the most important thing I have to teach my daughter is to follow her dreams. Mm -hmm. And as those words came out of my mouth, I knew at a very deep level, my life was about to be completely radically changed because I knew I was so conscious at that time that although I had this thriving business and I'd grown it up from nothing and I'd been in it about 10 years and all that, but I wasn't passionate about it anymore. Right. And I, as I answered that question, I thought, well, if that's the most important thing I have to teach her She's not going to learn that watching me do this business that I'm not excited about anymore. You know, it's really clear to me that our kids don't learn so much from what we tell them. They learn from watching us. Yeah. And so I knew she wasn't going to learn that. And so within six months of him asking me that question, I closed my business and I said, I got to go on a journey of reinvention and figure out what my dream is so that I can follow it so she can see what that's about. Yeah. But, you know, she was three at that point and I was like, okay, this is it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was making about $150,000 a year at the time. And that was what, that was in the 1990s. That was a lot of money back then. It's still a lot of money. So it wasn't that I had an okay so-so business that I was giving up. I had a very successful business that I was giving up. But I was like, I, I can't keep doing this. Right. And so then I thought, okay, I'm going to do something more creative. I don't know what that is. I knew I needed time to figure it out because if you're working full time and you're parenting on your own and you're, you know, you're just, even if you're not parenting, if you've got a full-time job, 
it's like you're on this gerbil wheel and you're so exhausted by the end of the day. When do you have the time to figure out what's next or whatever? And so I thought, okay, I need to get myself into a different situation. I need to live somewhere that's much cheaper to live so that I have time to figure out what's what. And so at the time I was living in Toronto and I started researching where else could I live that would be way cheaper than here that would give me time to figure out what my next thing will be and what creative thing I want to do. And I did really honestly didn't know what it would be. I didn't know if I was going to write a book. I didn't know. I didn't know what. I had no idea. Right. So I researched all these places and I looked at, there was a town in Mexico I looked at and then I looked at Halifax and then researching online, I found Salt Spring Island which when you're living in Toronto is really the opposite end of the country (laughs) and very different. Like I had only lived in big cities. I lived in Montreal and Toronto. Like I'd lived in very big cities and Salt Spring Island is this little tiny place with maybe 4,000 households, many of which aren't inhabited many much of the year because there's a lot of people that have vacation homes there, but I could buy a house very cheaply there compared to what I was selling in Toronto. And we spent a year in Salt Spring Island. And while I was there, I guess we'd been there about six months and I realized, oh my God, I'm halfway through the year and I haven't figured out anything yet. And it was because I'm by myself with this kid that's just turned four and she's very verbal and very bright. And so she would start talking to me from the minute she opened her eyes in the morning till when she went to sleep at night. And like, it was an ongoing conversation all day because there was no one else for her to talk to. So six months in, I thought, man, I'm going to run out of money before I figure out what's next. I got it. So anyway, I put her in daycare like two or three afternoons a week or something just to give me mental time to Mm -hmm. just be in my thoughts. Right. Oh, there was somebody doing art therapy just to, she had to get like so many hours I guess to get her her certificate or whatever and so she'd put in an ad in the paper about this art therapy thing and you could go for free and you know she would get this experience and I had done talk therapy before but I'd never done art therapy and I thought why not right so yeah. while my daughter's in daycare I went to once a week I would go see this art therapist and she had all these art materials out and it got me painting and working with art materials. Right. And somewhere in, in that period, I got one of these mailings. I don't know if you remember the Book of the Month Club from years ago that that was a thing. Oh, yeah. Actually, I've noticed yeah. they started advertising again recently, these Book of the Month thing. Apparently, it's still alive. But anyway, Book of the Month had this offshoot that was like art books and craft books and that kind of thing. And somehow I had gotten a mailing about this. You know, choose four or six books or something for a dollar or five dollars. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. But it was really cheap ticked off a bunch of books, put it in the mail, completely forgot about it. One day the package arrives and I start pulling out the books and there was one that was about how to make stencils and do art with and cut your own stencils and make patterns out of that. And then there was another book about making your own stamps and how you could do lino cut. And then there was another book on hand painted floor cloths. So I pull all these things out and I realize they all obviously go together. Yeah. And it was weird. It was like just this intuitive hit of, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint floor cloths, which for anyone who doesn't know, are hand-painted rugs. Right. And I love that idea because I didn't feel qualified to call myself an artist because, you know, I was an MBA and I had a BA in communications and, you know, I didn't have an arts degree, right? Right. I could paint rugs that people walk on. Like that, to me, wasn't intimidating the the same way like a, a painting that would go on a wall was. Like to me, that was real art. But if it was going on the floor, it was more of a decorative art thing. It's functional, yeah. And it's functional and it's just not, you know, it wasn't as intimidating. And I go off to Victoria and I go to this art supply store that I had found online and I go there to buy my supplies so that I could paint floor cloths and I have to make it back on the ferry, you know, before I pick up my kid at the end of the afternoon. Anyway, 
so weird. I go, I randomly picked an art store in Victoria. I really didn't know Victoria. I didn't know the different art stores. I just randomly picked somewhere. I don't even remember what it was, but I walk in and I tell them I want to paint floor cloths and I read this book and I had made this shopping list based on what I saw in the book about what I would need to do this. Don't you know the person in the store says, I'm a floor cloth artist. Let me help you. <laughs> so, you know, when they say if you're on the right path, doors open, it was yeah. it was that kind of a thing. And so, you know, I told her what I was there to buy and she's great, but you know, you also need this. And she like shared a bunch of tips and tricks with me mm-hmm. and really led me through what to buy. Because honest to God, I was so scared to walk into this art store. And even to this day now, all these years later, I still feel intimidated going into an art store because I feel like I don't know what everything is. I don't know how it works. I feel like it's the secret society where other people have all this knowledge that I don't have and it's intimidating. But anyway, she led me through. So I came home with all my stuff and then I couldn't wait to get my kid into daycare because like I was so dying to like (laughs) paint. And I started with making two foot by three foot mats Mm because that was a reasonable size every day I was just pumping these things out and I was so excited and they, and you know, I can still remember some of those early patterns and like they were hideous now when I think about it, but it was exciting. And what I noticed when I spread them all out, even after like four weeks of doing this, each week it looked like a different person was painting them. It's because I was finding my way in. And so it always looked like someone new was doing it. And so it was really a thing that I went through, I guess, finding my style. Mm -hmm. And once I had that figured out, I was like, okay, now I le- need to live in a bigger place where there's going to be more people to sell floor cloths to yeah. because Salt Spring Island, there's not a lot of people. Yeah. So we moved to Victoria as my daughter was starting kindergarten. And so are you selling them already at this point? No, at they're... this point I'm not. I'm yeah. still just painting them in this room, yeah. like finding my style. I don't yeah. even have my style yet. Yeah. So I get to Victoria. And the house that I buy, I pick specifically because it has a good, like, the basement was was going to be my art studio. And so I really picked the house that I picked because it had a place to paint in it. And that's what drove which one I chose. So I had these tables built and I put up lighting right above the table so I could really see. And I got my studio all set up. And then I panicked. Mm-hmm. And I went, what was I thinking? I'm not going to be able to live in this city and support my daughter being a floor class artist. That's completely preposterous. And what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. And... Never mind, like, don't even do that. So I went and I got business cards printed with my old company name from when I had my communications business in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I started going out to networking events and, like, talking to people and trying to drum up business for my marketing communications business that's now based in Victoria. Yeah. And then I was about six weeks into that. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, I went on this (laughs) whole journey. Like, wait a minute. Like, I gave up my business. I moved us to Salt Spring. I found this thing that I'm passionate about. I bought the house specifically because it had the studio space. It's all set up. And now I'm giving up. Like, I haven't even, like, seen if this is anything. You know, I'm just, so I was like, stop it. So I put away the business cards. And I was like, no, you're going to do this. And I was (laughs) just terrified. Yeah. And, um... I just started painting stuff and then I hit on the idea of organizing a studio tour and I thought that way if I'm part of an event I can get people into my studio because I didn't know anybody there at all so I thought if I just have an open house nobody's going to come. Yeah. So I needed it to be a big thing so I put all my marketing knowledge around kicking off this big event. There were like 19 artists. It's now I don't know how many years later so that was year 2000 I moved there so it's yeah all these years later it still runs twice a year it's still a thing this is your baby (laughs) this was my baby exactly and um so that's how I launched my business doing floor cloths again quite a crazy thing a lot of people didn't even know what they were what happened was that led to people wanting custom things for their homes and so then I started doing a lot of custom home accessories for people 
So a lot of the things I would paint and sell at my open houses, part of it was really just to generate that custom right business. Get people in front and of get, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then at the same time, the other thing I did was I um, built a website and I was selling my art online. Mm-hmm. And this was early days. So this was like the start of eBay, I think was a new thing around then because it's like 2000, 2001. Right. Much harder to build a website at that time. There wasn't all the tools and things that are existing now. There wasn't WordPress. There wasn't, yeah. you know, Wix and, and, and Squarespace. And, you know, all these things didn't exist back then. It was yeah. hard. Like, you had to figure out HTML to build a website. And you built it yourself. I built it entirely myself. Yeah. I designed it myself, built it myself, took all the photos, wrote the copy, you know, made the yeah. art, whatever. And it was really intense. And... And all this time you're raising a daughter on your own. Exactly. And and, and what happened was, because I knew there was a lot of gardeners in Victoria, it was a big thing for gardening there. And so I had the idea of buying um, garden tools and painting the handles and making these decorative things on the handles. And so I did like, I don't even know what gardening stuff is called, but all the little tools that you would use in a garden and even like rakes, the big pole of a rake and stuff like that. And I was hand painting those. And I don't know, they got... Somebody noticed them somehow. I forget now how it was, Mm -hmm. but I got a call from the um, Victoria Art Gallery, Mm -hmm. and they called me, and they wanted me to donate a hand-painted rake and something else for the event, Mm -hmm. and I said... Sure, I'd be happy to do that as long as I can put up a brochure or something at the table where you're doing the silent auction. So I remember her saying to me, no one's ever asked us that before. We've been running this silent auction with artists, donated stuff for years, and no one's ever asked us. And I said, well, I'm asking you now because that would be a requirement for me to donate something. Yeah. So she gets back to me and she says, yes, of course, you can do that. That would be great. And so I remember being struck by two things that, first of all, artists had never thought of asking that before. And so all these artists for years have been donating things to the gallery. And it's not like these artists are rich either and yet not seeing it as a marketing opportunity. And I guess because I come from that marketing background, I look at anything in my business. It's always about, well, how is this also a marketing opportunity? It doesn't mean I won't do it and, you know, be gracious about it, but I'm also still looking for where's that kind of angle and especially being new in town starting this art business I'm really looking for how to get known so that to me was an opportunity yeah but because she said yes to me having these brochures on the table at the time I had no brochures like I had nothing that would there be there and I thought okay if now I'm going to go to the expense of printing something it better have a website on there right and that was the impetus to me finally getting off my ass and doing my website Mm -hmm. and so the the event was, I don't know, in two or three weeks from then. So that gave me two or three weeks to make a web, like figure out how to make a website and build a website. And so I still have a memory of being in the basement, sitting at the computer and it's getting dark and I haven't even realized it's dark. And my daughter coming downstairs and she's five years old. She's in kindergarten at the time. And she's standing there and she's still wearing her school uniform. And she's like, she says to me, Mommy, can we eat soon? I'm hungry. And I look at the time and I realize it's 8 o'clock at night. And I've literally picked my 5-year-old up from school, somehow got her busy upstairs doing something. And I've gone back to the basement and I'm working on this website. (laughs) I haven't even fed her, never mind homework, whatever. And she's like, Mommy, can we eat now? And it's 8 o'clock at night. So that's how obsessed I was of like figuring this out and getting it done. But anyway, so that pushed me to get the website done. And then that also led to business. And... 
Like I was rolling up floor cloths for $1,000 and sending them to California. Right. And I remember at the time thinking, that's amazing to me that someone in California will send a total stranger a thousand bucks to send them this piece of art. Like that was mind blowing to me. And it's still kind of mind blowing, but it was especially mind blowing back then where there wasn't all this e-commerce that we have now. Yeah. So there was um, a local magazine, Boulevard Magazine in Victoria, and it used to come out I think it came out every second month or something. It was a magazine. It had editorial content, but there a lot of real estate agents would advertise in it because a lot of the editorial content in the magazine would be features of really beautiful homes in Victoria. And so they would always showcase these amazing properties with the ocean views and the beautiful furniture and, you know, the kind of houses the average person doesn't live in, but they would showcase these. Yeah. So I thought, wow, if I could get into that magazine that would also really put me on the map so I contacted the editor and I said to her you know I think you should do an article functional art for the home and how that makes a home unique Mm -hmm. and there's so many talented artists and craftspeople in Victoria who do all these wonderful unique things and I said I will find you know to include myself here's my work and I'll find you four other artists where we all work in different mediums and I'll round up all the people. I'll get the photos for you. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't this be a great story idea? And she agreed. And so she got a writer to write the thing. And I went and figured out who the other artists would be. So I went to all these galleries and stores in Victoria and like all of like really interesting artists I found. So I found a metal worker and a glass worker and a ceramic artist. And then I was me doing my floor cloths and hand painted stuff and really was spoon feeding her the article basically. Right. Um, she called me out of the blue one evening and she said well we're doing a photo shoot tomorrow for the cover of the magazine and the person who we were supposed to photograph is not available would you like to be on the cover of the magazine and I said sure I would yeah (laughs) so there I was on the cover of this magazine that was going to be on newsstands throughout the city for two months and was going to go out in the newspapers and all of that and I had already done the studio tour once so some people sort of knew about me anyway yeah and so I did this shoot, and so there I had a huge photo of myself with all sitting on top of all my floor cloths spread out, um, in like because it was about a six-page spread, but the the intro double-page spread of the six pages was me with all my floor cloths because I'd been at the shoot. Then there were pictures of my work and all the other artists and stuff. So yeah. I became sort of the feature in this article, which wasn't my original intention. It just worked out that way. From there, like, people would recognize me, you know, so I'd go places and they'd be like, oh, I've seen you. And it's because I had my picture, like, all over these newsstands. And so I just, you know, I always leveraged these things, but they all came about because I put myself out there. So if I'd never done anything, none of it would have happened. And And I think the unique thing about you is you have your eyes open and your scanner on for those opportunities. True, true. And so... Fast forward a little bit where yeah. um, you are starting up, you're starting to do staging. Right. And you've got the same scanner going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So same thing happens. So so I would have stayed in Victoria doing art and growing that probably. And then, but then for health reasons, I had to move back east, mm-hmm. to Toronto. Okay, this is a much more expensive city again. And I was afraid that I would get scared again and turn by myself back into this marketing person and print the business cards again the way I had right. freaked out in Victoria. <laughs> I was you know, concerned that my art stuff wouldn't generate things as quickly as I needed it to. And so I was really afraid of that. And so then I was thinking, okay, what else can I do that's creative that's not turning my back on 
this re- journey of reinvention that I've gone on, but still can maybe generate cash a little bit faster than painting these floor cloths, which are very time consuming. They're creative, but because of the stretching and the hemming and the multiple coats of varnish, there's a lot of labor time that goes into yeah. them. Yeah. So I needed something that was a little quicker. So yeah. I bought that same book, probably the same way. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> and I remember reading through it all and looking at all of the right. uh, things that you need and the time. And I went, oh, I'm going to go buy a floor cloth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very time consuming. Yeah. They're hugely time yeah. consuming. Anyway. We want to go faster though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So because in my various moves, at various points in my life, I had considered going back to school to study to be an interior designer. And I had looked at it a couple of times, and every time I looked at it, it was like, you know, it was like a four-year program, and it was expensive, and and it meant I was taking t- four years out of my existing career where I was making money, and I also didn't feel this need to get a, an official piece of paper either, because, I mean, I had a master's degree already, so yeah. I, I didn't feel like I needed a piece of paper, mm-hmm. but I just liked decorating, and so... Along the way of my various moves, I was always buying really ugly houses and decorating them, and purely cosmetic things, better lighting, different color on the walls, and then how I arranged the furniture and hung the art and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so all of the real estate that I was buying and selling, I was making pretty good money doing that as well. I was doing well with flipping houses. And so when I moved to Toronto, I thought, wow, home staging, you know, that's a service that I could offer other people because most people don't know how to do what I know how to do. And And is home staging a thing at this point in in Toronto? It's early days of it being a thing. Most people haven't heard of it. In the Mm -hmm. same way that no one really heard of a floor cloth when I decided to paint them, a lot of people hadn't heard of staging when I decided to be a home stager either. I always seem to pick the thing that nobody knows what it is yet. But I thought, okay, home staging, decorating houses to sell, that could be a thing. And so there were no shows on HGTV about it. It wasn't on the radar yet. But I thought, no, if I can build a website, because I built my other website for my art business, I thought if I can build a website for home staging and I'll use before and after pictures from my own homes Mm -hmm. and I'll just write about what it is and why it works and why it makes sense and just talk about, I mean, because logically, if you think about it, someone's going to pay more for something that they are excited about and looks better than something that they're not so excited about. Like, to me, that's just common sense. So I thought, you know, I'll just write a website about that and see what happens. <laughs> so I did. And and same thing, I, I kind of used the same technique I did about Victoria and my art business, same idea. I thought, okay, I've arrived in Toronto. I thought about all the ways I could just burst on the scene. And so one of them was um, a realist. Well, first of all, I picked a neighborhood. It happened to be the neighborhood I was living in, which made it convenient. But I knew that was a neighborhood that had a lot of buying and selling of houses going on. It was an active real estate market. There was certain agents who had almost all the listings in that neighborhood. And whenever a listing went to someone outside of the neighborhood, the other agents would never show it. Like they really controlled this neighborhood mm-hmm. and who could buy and sell houses there. And so I thought, okay, if I can get one or two of these key agents on board with this, that could be a way that I get known. Of course, all the agents are doing the usual flyer in the door saying, you know, you can have a free evaluation of your home and blah, blah, blah. And they all would do that. And they'd all send these postcards out. And most of them would end up immediately in recycling because unless you were listing your home right that minute, you weren't really interested there was no reason to keep it. And everyone was doing one. So there was nothing to make one agent look different than the other. They all basically had the same postcard that went. So I approached one of the key agents and I said, listen, you're already doing a door-to-door thing anyway and spending the money to print it and distribute it. 
what if I come up with an idea that's more interesting for you that sets you apart from the other agents and makes it something that people might keep. So even if they're not listing their house now, maybe they're thinking they might in the spring or something, wouldn't it be good if it was something that they would hang on to and put in a file so that when they were ready, they would remember to call you. And she's like, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, she had nothing to lose, right? So I said, I'll write the whole thing. Why don't we make it like a newsletter? I'll write all the copy for you. I'll put it all together. Mm -hmm. You just have to print it and distribute it. Mm-hmm. So this is what I did. So I put in, a th- I got some copy and st- stats from her about like what was happening in the market and I made it like a newsletter. And so we had some stuff about neighborhood sort of overview. And then the back page was all how great is home staging and, and you know, why it would work to sell your home faster. And there was even some little tips in there on how to make your house look better and everything. And yeah. throughout this article, I wrote it as if it was um, a newspaper article. So rather than being written by me, it's written, but it's quoting me. So I wrote the whole thing, but if I wanted to say something directly, I'd put it in quotation marks, and then I'd say, says home staging expert Deborah Gould, president of Six Elements, Inc., home staging, blah, blah, blah. And so, again, it was just, I pulled this whole thing out of my ass, right? I just decided to be a home stager and named my company and whatever, right? I just decided. And so, but if I kept referring myself as home staging expert Deborah Gould, eventually people would get that, right? So... Mm -hmm. She put out this newsletter, and at the same time, I took what I learned in Victoria about being a a bigger fish in a smaller pond, Mm -hmm. and so since Toronto is so huge, I thought, I'm just going to be the big fish in this little neighborhood. So her newsletter thing was going to go out in all of the doors, so that was great. And then she always had an ad in the local community paper, and her ad was always in a prominent spot on the back page of this, the back cover of this this, um, newspaper. She always had a big ad there every issue so I said in conjunction with that how about if I come up with a a workshop that you can like a seminar that you can offer for free and you can put it in your ad and I'll do the workshop for you she's like sure that's great because you know real estate agents are always trying to build their database and build their list so if she had an event that she could invite people to that was free it would get more people onto her list so she could continue to market to them. So I came up with some workshop. I don't even remember what the title was now, but it was something like, you know, 10 tips to sell your house in a whatever market. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. And, um, or 10 secrets to making your house a hot property or I don't know, whatever, something like that. And anyway, so she advertised it on the, in the newspaper. And again, it said, Home staging expert Deborah Gould, president of Six Elements, is going to be talking about blah, 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 right? So I thought, great. So these flyers are going in people's door. Now they're seeing me in the community paper. And then I also wrote a press release for the local community paper and sent that in because they had a column in there on um, new businesses in the neighborhood. So I wrote a thing for that. And a tip for that when you're writing a press release, write it as if the newspaper, like make it as easy for the newspaper to use it as possible. So I wrote it as something that they could just plunk into their newspaper without having to change anything. Yeah. So I used the same technique. I quoted myself, says Deborah Gould, home staging expert, blah, 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 you know. And so, again, it was always reinforcing that phrase and reinforcing my company name and that kind of thing. And so I just, there was a whole bunch of other things I did, but I was just, I was looking for how do I get known and seen because somebody has to see and hear about you, see or hear about you at least 10 times before it even registers at all. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what, those were the statistics 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe it, maybe it's a hundred times now. I don't know because it's so much more fragmented, right? right? So you think about all the messages that are coming at us from social media and everything else. 
some you're not going to recognize something immediately. You keep seeing it, and then eventually it sort of you notice it, and you think it's the first time you saw it, but you've already seen it twenty times, right? So, right. so that's the idea: is how to get people seeing your name everywhere. And I remember at one point having a conversation with somebody. Oh yeah, and there was this local school. My daughter's at the local public school. They had a mom's group that would meet every month, and the kids would all get in. The ones that had babies would go in daycare, and they would invite guest speakers, and then. The moms would listen to a speaker and they'd do exercise and whatever. And it was a very low-key thing. Yeah. And at the time, I was terrified to speak in front of people. But I thought, this is a low-key thing. It's just moms who are going to be happy to have a guest speaker. <laughs> so I went and did that. So again, you know, it's just anything concentrated in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And at some point, somebody said to me, wow, I'm just seeing your name everywhere. And I thought, perfect. That's exactly what I want to have happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it really grew from there. And then my website grew and traffic grew. And then... And, and then at some point in my second year, that's when blogs became a thing. It was the very early days of blogs. And so it was before WordPress. Mm-hmm. So um, Google had Blogspot. So you mm-hmm. could have a free blog on Blogspot. And I took a little course about what was a blog and how does that work and whatever. Mm-hmm. So I launched three different blogs, all related to staging and real estate staging and different phrases. And I launched them in all these Blogspot blogs. And I really think that was one of the key turning points for media stuff because one week... The um, Wall Street Journal interviewed me, and how did they find? How did they? They find found you? me online, and yeah. I think it's because of the blogs. Like they might have found my website, but I'm—I think it might have been the blogs. I don't know. It could have been one or the other. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was interesting that I had launched these blogs, and then within weeks of that happening, um, I was getting these contacts from major media. So. Up till then, I'd had like the local paper and the community paper and the Toronto Star, which is a big newspaper, but still not Wall Street Journal size, right? right. And so. Wall Street Journal calls me and they are they want to do I forget what day of the week it was Friday or something they had a home section and on the front page of the home section they wanted to write a feature article on insider secrets that what would a home stager do in their own home if they were going to sell it and that was the angle that they took I ended up being the only home stager they talked to so I had like a whole front page of the home section in the Wall Street Journal talk about a thing to establish yourself as an expert, like that's it, right? right? So it was perfect. So again, it had home staging expert Deborah Gold says, blah, 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 right? Yeah. Probably a week and a half after the Wall Street Journal thing, then CNN called. And I almost didn't believe the guy when he said it was CNN. And I was like, what, Oprah's going to call next? Like it was just, it seemed so unreal because it was yeah. like, here I am, this single mom in Toronto who a year ago decided I'm going to call myself a home stager and now CNN and Wall Street Journal want to talk to me. Like it just seemed so improbable to me, right? right. It was crazy. And so yeah. it was great. And it was cool for my daughter because she got to see all of these things. She saw this grow from nothing. And then when I did the TV stuff, like I pulled her out of school and she went. So she sat in the control booth while they put the new show together and she watched me like be on the news. Mm -hmm. And when I did CBC radio, did an hour long call in show where people would call with their house questions and I would answer them. And she again, she sat in the control booth like with the guys while they put the show together. So like she got to have all these really cool experiences from me doing it. And she was there for one of my HGTV shoots. So like it's really fun. As I said earlier, because of all this media attention, I guess that's what got so many stagers all over the place to find my website. As I said, why people started writing to me going, wow, you have this real business and I see you're in all this media stuff. How did you do it? And you're doing all this media stuff. Are you also doing a ton of staging like it yeah, seems yeah. like it would take up a huge amount of time to well, do Well, it was both. It was both. And actually the tricky thing, a lot of the media stuff, I had to find a client that was willing to have them come in and shoot. Mm-hmm. 
and it had to fit the TV station schedule too. So that so there were some media things that I didn't get because I couldn't line up a location exactly when they wanted one. Yeah. And of course, all of this is unpaid, right? So right. you know, you're really pulling favors with clients. You know, can they come and do a TV show in your house? You know, so yeah. that was crazy. But um, like a lot of people, when they think of home staging, they're imagining a vacant house that you're completely furnishing top to bottom, and that is part of it. But that's not the only thing. So there's a lot of money to be made in home staging just doing consultations. So somebody's living in a house and they're selling it because they're moving to a bigger house or smaller house or whatever. But they're living in the house they're selling. It's already furnished. Usually there's more than enough stuff in there to work with. And so the stager at that point, the way I do it is I go in and do a consultation and I'm going room by room. And in detail, I'm telling them exactly what needs to happen in each room. So it's either, you know, get rid of this, this and this. Or, you know, that night table in that other room would be better in this room. Let's take this piece of art and move it over there because it's a proper sized wall, you know, that kind of thing. And all the things that I want to say when I go into somebody's house, but I just keep in my head. Exactly. And that's what I used (laughs) to always do. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. So people who have that talent, it's kind of a reflex. You walk into a space and you just, you want to say these things. Mm -hmm. And I realized the people that live there have no idea or they would have done it themselves. And I've developed this theory and that is that They move into a house, there's that hectic day when the movers show up and everything gets into the house and you want them to leave quickly because you're paying them a fortune by the hour. And these guys come in and they're always crabby and whatever and like they carry in the stuff and they plunk it down. And you know what? Most people live with wherever the movers plunked down their stuff that day 15 years ago, it hasn't moved since. And so that's how you end up in all these rooms that are not optimally arranged and you end up with artwork that's all hung in the wrong place because, you know, they go to hang up their stuff and there's already a nail in the, the wall from the last person and whatever they happen to have in their hands, they hang it on that nail yeah. without any thought for whether the nail's too high, too low, or whether the piece of art in their hand is too small or too big for that particular wall. It just goes there. Yeah. And so every house I would go to, it was kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. And I, it was like I'd go in and like I knew all the pieces were there and there were some pieces from a different puzzle box that shouldn't have been in this puzzle. And it was really a matter of like, you know, finding the edge pieces, like, you know, what belongs here, what doesn't, how can I rearrange what's there? And so what I wanted to say is a lot of home staging and a lot of money in home staging can be made going in, spending anywhere from two to four hours going through someone's house, telling them exactly what has to happen in every room. And then you leave them with a the to-do list you leave with your money and you never have to go back. Right. And it's very lucrative. And and the people are thrilled because they were so lost. They knew their house didn't look like what it looks like in magazines, but they didn't know how to make it look like that. And so yeah. I also had people who decided not to sell after I staged their house because they realized their house now looks better than anything else they're looking at in their price range. Right. <laughs> Interior design is great, and but most people won't hire an interior designer like they'll think that's for rich people or it feels intimidating to them in the same way there are a lot of people that will never go into a gallery to buy art because a gallery seems kind of like people are afraid of it it feels elitist or whatever feels like a museum it feels yeah Yeah. so they're intimidated they feel like they don't know enough about art or you know it's the same kind of thing so I think a lot of people would never hire an interior designer but as the knowledge of home staging grew and I helped contribute to that. I've written more articles on home staging than anyone else on the planet because I've been in the industry since 2002. I would get calls from people who would say, well, I'm not moving anytime soon, but I realized maybe you could help my house look better, you know, with what I've got. And because I think part of it is you imagine if you hire an interior designer, they're going to come in and say, well, all this furniture must go and we need to start from scratch. And of course that's very expensive to buy all new furniture and 
and all new custom drapes and all these other things that we think of interior designers recommending. So it broadened sort of the target market. And I got to do decorating without ever going to interior design school. <laughs> I did go to interior design did school. Did you? Really? Yeah. Oh, I and didn't know uh, that about I you. I did. And I, you know, had a fun career for, yeah. for a number of years. And then one day I was standing in a client's house and all of a sudden I just went, I don't care anymore. Right. <laughs> so, I get it. Yeah. I totally get yeah. it. Yeah. So it was time to, time yeah, to yeah, just paint. Time to, time to move on. <laughs> yeah. One thing I will say about home staging, and when I went into it, I thought, well, maybe this won't be creative enough and then I'll get really bored with it. Like yeah. that was my concern. And I realized actually it was quite creative because, and in fact, in a way more so than decorating because what was neat was the clients really got out of the way. Like, you know how there's a lot of businesses that you think, wow, this would be a great business if it weren't for the clients. But of course you need the clients or you wouldn't have a business, yeah. but just that the, the clients can be troublesome sometimes. Yeah. And so what I found with the interior design or decorating kind of projects, a lot of times I would get frustrated because the client couldn't make up their mind or... You're being a marriage counselor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or, or, you know, you'd pick all this stuff and it'd look great and you'd go there to take your pictures and then you'd find out they added this thing to the middle of the room that didn't go with anything else and it was hideous and of course you wouldn't want to take your after picture anymore because there was this hideous thing in the middle of the room and you couldn't say to the person can I take this away before I take a picture of your living room that looks good without it you know but (laughs) you can't say that so anyway but I discovered with home staging because the people aren't living with the changes you make they know it's for the purpose of turning their house into a product that's going to sell mm-hmm they know they don't have to live with the changes. And what I found is the clients really got out of my way. And yeah. so I really got to execute my creative vision in their house without them really interfering. And if I said, these are the five paint colors, they're like, okay. And I'm like, I'm going to move this here and that there. And they're like, okay. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so they really gave me free creative reign over what I wanted to do in their houses. So that was actually really fun. And I also noticed that the more I charged for my services, the more they gave me creative reign. Yeah. So when my prices were lower, I would have a lot more pushback from clients. But once I was charging them a lot of money just for that consultation, mm-hmm. like my consultations were starting at $700 for mm-hmm. two hours. And if you're paying 700 bucks for someone to give you two hours of advice, you're prepared to listen to what they have to say, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's a different <laughs> psychology. Yeah. And know? were you getting different clients as your prices went up? Like, did it kind of weed out the people? Who, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really did. It, yeah. it weeded out the people that were going to quibble over. Like, I remember when my rates were more at the sort of $250 range. You know, I'd go in and say, well, you know, we really need to repaint the bathroom. And they'd be like, oh, I don't want to repaint. I'm selling. And I'm like, yeah, but you haven't painted it since 1982. Like, it shows. You know, like, you want to get over a million dollars for this house. We really need, no, don't want to paint it, you know. And so I found, but once I was charging more for those consultations, I didn't have that. So you're busy. You're staging. You have done an amazing job of branding yourself. Mm -hmm. and, uh, And you're getting these calls from different media outlets right and uh, literally when you google home staging your picture comes up right right (laughs) (laughs) and then you start getting contacted how it started was I um I had been building up this list of people that anybody that wrote to me and said what's your secret I want to do this I had kept their email addresses it was December of 2004 and I remember I my daughter was off school already and so I took her to a play date and so I had like I think two hours. I had this two-hour window where I could do my own thing. And so I went to Starbucks with my laptop, and I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out 
what would the course be and like write an outline for it and what's the title and like does it have modules and how you know and so I sat there in Starbucks for two hours and like drafted this thing out really what I needed was to pick the dates so I just picked some dates that seemed to work and um emailed like everybody that was on my list I can't even remember how many people were on my list at the time I have no idea because it's so long ago but I mean it wasn't a huge list like now I've got you know 70,000 people on my list back then it was probably I don't know 50 people 20 people I can't remember how many it was and I emailed everybody here's the course you've been asking me what my secrets are I'm gonna reveal them and I put a PayPal button on my site and I sent them I drove traffic from my email to this web page where they could order and that's how it all started and now there's 30,000 students in 23 countries. That is unbelievable. <laughs> so awesome. I love how your whole path has been, you know, identify somebody who can get the message out. Right. And then it's like, hold my beer. I'm going to go get this person. I'm going I'm to do their job for right, a minute. Right, right, right. And uh, you just branded yourself. Right. Put yourself in that role and uh, put yourself where all these people can see you. Right. And they see you. Yeah. And out yeah. they come. And it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It's, Thanks. Uh, Thanks. it's an amazing strategy. Thanks. Beautifully executed. Thank you. So at this point, you have this thriving business. Right. And you've got all these people who are engaged in doing the staging and learning from you. And the, the testimonials on your site are all awesome. And it's really fun to see. Thank you. And yet you're having a call to do something creative that's different again. Do you think that's fair to say? Are you? Yeah. I don't know what the next thing is yet. So I feel yeah. like, yes, I want to do something creative. I don't know. I guess maybe I'm sort of not taking that serious. I'm realizing as I'm saying it that maybe I'm not taking that as seriously because I haven't turned into a financial thing yet. Right. At the same time, as I've said to you, my art doesn't have to make money. Yeah. Yet somewhere in my head... It has to be generating money. Otherwise, it's not a real thing. And I know intellectually that's stupid, but there is a part of me that still believes that. Business is art. In, yeah, in my yeah, house, it's yeah. always a fascinating yeah. conversation because yeah. my husband is a serial entrepreneur, right. as you are. And every time we think, okay, we can, you know, that we're done, we can take right. a break, we don't need... There is a call that yes. comes out, whether it's yeah. whether it is strictly painting or it's or it's right. all business I think right. with both you and I we have that right both sides right. of that and right and yeah it's a hard thing to turn your back on for long Deb so I'm not yeah. sure what yeah. your next thing is yeah but, so uh, I am I am fascinated by the idea of surface and textile pattern design and that was something I was actually interested in when I started the floor cloths and then I was painting the table runners and the placemats and all these other things digital printing wasn't what it is now back then mm-hmm. But at the time, I kept coming out with all these cool patterns, but it was just too laborious to repeat them onto big swaths of fabric or whatever. And now that can be done digitally. So so what I have been doing for a couple of years now is generating patterns and then thinking that, you know, eventually I might turn them into a line of products that are, you know, produced to order. Yeah. I'm very clear that I don't want to turn myself into a manufacturing organization. Right. I also, as far as painting goes, even if I paint, I don't want to be a painting factory. And I say that in quotation marks, and I hope this doesn't offend any out- artists out there, but I know that I don't want to have to keep crunching out painting after painting after painting to earn a living. Like, to me, you can be creative, but if you can find a way to create the thing once and then sell it many times... Mm-hmm. If you're looking at this as also a business pursuit, then that is something to look at. Yeah, because something that's duplicable. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you're literally a painting factory. Yeah, and as much as you love might love painting now, if you have to keep 
churning out painting after painting endlessly because that's what's going to pay your bills, I think at some point that can get tiresome. And you see a lot of artists who have great styles and they have a really good look. But I think to myself, when I look at them, I go... I wonder how many years they can keep painting that thing and when are they can, like when does it, when is that not even creative anymore right because right. you're now just recreating the thing that you've been painting you're known for painting this thing and so you keep painting this thing you know mm-hmm. so to me take advantage of digital printing or prints or like something so that you can go on and create new things but you don't have to make so many of them every time you know yeah 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 so reinvention and yeah. doing something that is that is duplicable or yeah you can yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. nice yeah. nice well I look forward to seeing what it is that uh, that you do get thank involved you. in next and it's Thanks. been so fun hearing your story thank you and so much uh, the show is called two artists walk into a bar yes I don't know if you have a punchline for me for that <laughs> no I haven't thought of a punchline no, for you <laughs> or, a, or a joke or a funny story from your mm. staging and art adventures I remember when I was doing my staging business um, there was a tv shoot me going in and doing the consultation and then they were going to have another shoot day when furniture was being delivered and I'm supervising where it all goes and then another day where the house looks great and then do all the before and after pictures whatever anyway so it's the first shoot day and I'm kind of nervous because it was one of the first times I'd been on air and um, we're outside and they wanted to set up the scene. So they wanted me to like walk up the sidewalk, ring the bell and have the client open the door. And then I was arriving to do the staging consultation was the right. premise. Well, I'm quite nervous, but I'm not saying that I'm nervous, but inside I'm like, oh shit, I better not screw this up. And you know, it's yeah. a TV thing. It's going to be on the news, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, as an aside, isn't it interesting? They're scripting the news. But yeah. anyway, it's <laughs> an aside. So, so fake and news. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so we're outside and they cover the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And like the whole thing, we've got the whole thing done. And I'm like, okay, good. I breathe. I try and look relaxed and try and have like the right expression on my face as I'm supposedly just walking down the sidewalk and walking up the walk because you don't want to be frowning, but you also don't want to be smiling. It has to look natural. And so, and I'm not an actress, right? And so I'm trying to do this thing and I do the whole thing. I get up all the way to the door and then I realize I've completely walked to the wrong house. (laughs) 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 Exactly. Which was great when I realized that because then I burst into hysterical laughter and then the rest of the shoot was fine because it was just like after that, it was like, oh, whatever, you know? I think I think we just I know myself I take myself too seriously and so when something like that happens it just like breaks the ice kind of thing and then I'm yeah. like okay get over yourself you know like <laughs> we're all just human and we're all just doing the best we can yeah awesome <laughs> thanks yay thank you you've been listening to two artists walk into a bar I'm your host artist Carol McQuaid for full show notes and all the links head to two artists walk into a bar.com If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe, sign up for updates, and leave us a review. And if you loved the episode, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com and buy us our next round. Cheers.